Thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Well, good morning. Y'all have gotten so much better at that over the last few months since we've been back. I remember when I first started and I'd go, good morning. Y'all just all kind of go, good morning. We have to do it again and again, but you can teach an old dog new tricks, right? It is so good to see you this morning. I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll get there in just a few moments. Um, as we get started, uh, this is a, a big week for some of you. Uh, this is a big week for some of you because what starts this week? School. So, so let, me, let me do this. If I, first, let me, let me ask, if you are a former teacher or administrator, raise your hand. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for thank you for for the time that you invested in young people throughout your life. I, uh, that is is such a noble calling, and, and I appreciate uh, the way that you have uh, taught through your life, and, and many of you the way you still in different ways teach today. Now let me ask our current teachers and administrators, and just anybody, because I know we've got so many of you involved in our schools that you will be going back full-time with students this week, please stand up. Please stand up. Now, while you're standing, I want us to take a moment and say a very special prayer for you, okay? So just remain standing as we pray. God, I thank you so much uh, for these individuals that are so selflessly giving themselves to our community. Yes, I know that teaching is a career, it is a profession, it is a job, but it is also a calling to, to, to just pour yourself into the lives of young people, to help them grow, to help them mature, to help them learn, God. I thank you for each and every individual uh, that is a part of, of our school systems in this area. I know that we have uh, several different ones represented within our congregation, and we are grateful uh, for each one of them and the light that they are in those schools. I pray that you give them peace and patience. I pray that you give them uh, understanding, God. I pray that uh, you give them safety in the coming weeks. Our, our students as well, God. I know that there is a lot of anxiety surrounding school this year, and, and I, I know that's understandable, and I know that we get it, but I, I just pray that uh, you bless our schools with a fantastic year, that we don't have any major challenges or setbacks, God. Just uh, keep our, our students and our teachers and our faculty members, just keep them safe and healthy above all right now, God. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I was thinking there was probably another prayer that needed to be had, but I'm, uh, we'll, we'll put that off uh, for another time. But I do know that there were a handful of you that took your children to college this weekend and, and left them. And I know that that is a challenging time as well. And so uh, we will be praying for that as well through the week. As, as they transition into, j just like our, our normal uh, school around here, college is going to look a little bit different this year and is going to be challenging. And so we pray for all of our parents and students as well. So last week, last week we were 
Um, given the announcement by, by Danny that uh, over the coming weeks, we are going to be in the process of selecting, uh, selecting new elders. And that is an exciting time. That, that is an exciting time as a church family. But I, I'm going to tell you a couple of things that I have gathered through the week as I've talked to different people, not, not people here necessarily. Well, yes, I, I, I'll, I'll say even people here. The, the first thing that I have that I have heard from talking to different people throughout the week here at Ninth Avenue is that we have a great group of leaders. I'm not talking about just our elders. I'm talking about a group of men who, who lead this church, who teach in this church, who are willing to serve and do different things. I'm going to tell you, not just to the men, but just across the board, as we have done different events and different things, especially through this um, this this last few months, as we've done drive-through meals and have had to have guys help uh, hand things out on Sunday morning and different things, there is not a thing that I have called and asked for volunteers for that I have not just gotten what I needed for volunteers, but an abundance of volunteers. And I want you to know how much I appreciate that, to know that we can... We can be together and work together and that it's, you know, when there is a need that is in place, that meeting that need is not going to be a problem. That is a sign of a great church, of a mature church, of a growing church. And then as I have talked to different people about their thoughts on who our next elders should be, one of the things that has become very evident is that we have a, a large number of men that maybe through and through, are, are qualified for that. doesn't mean they're all going to become elders right now, but it means that we have a great pool to pull from. And then not just the immediate, but as we look a little on down the line and, and, and men that are coming up, we, we see even still a great group of men that maybe because of their life situations right now may not be fully qualified, but a few years down the road, they're growing in that direction. And I have worked at some different places, and one of the things that is, is challenging for a lot of churches is to find men who are qualified and who are willing to serve in the role of an elder. And as I think about what's uh, our future in just the next few weeks, I'm excited. Because I know not only do we have men that are qualified, I really truly believe that we have men that are going to answer the call and are going to step up and are going to serve in this church and do a fantastic job leading us into the future. And I am excited about that. As I said last week, to, to the handful of men that may get asked of, to fulfill this, this role, I ask you to pray about it, to be mindful of it. it it's easy. It's easy to come up with a quick no instead of a slow yes sometimes. And what I'm asking is that you be mindful and prayerful of the opportunity that God has set in front of you to serve in his kingdom. That this very well may be the time that he has been grooming you for to our church members. And I know many of you have already submitted names, but I challenge you with this as well. As you submit those names, Please be prayerful above everything else. And also, maybe as you submit those names, go to those men and sit with them and pray with them. 
because, because there's nothing more powerful that you could do, nothing more personal. I don't think nothing any more encouraging that you could do than to not just blindly say, oh, I think this guy, this guy, this guy, but to go to them and say, this is why I think you will be a great leader and I'm going to pray with you about it. So I encourage you to do those things as we go forward in this process. So all of that being said, we are going to look at part two of our biblical leadership uh, uh, lessons today. Last week, as we got into this, um, we, we talked about the idea of a shepherd. And these are some of the slides that you didn't get to see last week. I, I, I forgot them, so I made sure this week to get them sent in. But last week, we talked about the idea of a shepherd, that an elder is a shepherd of the flock. And we, and we looked at, you know, here's the Greek word, here's the English translations, but more importantly, the, the definition of those words is, is the feeder, the protector, and the ruler of a flock of men. And so we translated that into our own kind of idea and talked about how a shepherd within the church is someone who provides, someone who provides, he is someone who protects, and he is someone who is personal with his church family. And we get some of that and a lot of that from this First uh, Peter chapter 5 text. And I want us to read through that again as we kind of go through this. And, and really, I know many times we look at 1 Timothy and Titus as qualifications for an elder, but I believe Peter gives us a little more depth to this idea of, of who might be and who might not be qualified. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Do uh, Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being example of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. So that is the first role of an elder in which we will, which we've looked at together. We're going to move on to a couple of other words this morning. Uh, the first word we're going to look at is the word that we use to describe this office um, all the time. And the reason we do that is because when you look through Scripture, the Greek word uh, presbyteros that we have uh, in the Scripture that we translate as elder is, is used a number of different times. And of all the different descriptive words for elder, this is the word that is used most frequently. So that is kind of why we have, um, with all these different titles that they could carry, the word elder, the term elder, is used more than any other. And, and so as we think about that idea, what does it mean to be an elder. Well, I think the first thing that it means, the main idea here is it implies a person that is mature, a person that is mature. Now, one of the things that I've always found interesting about Scripture, especially uh, New Testament versus Old Testament, it's easy to get the idea that the Old Testament is just that, old, and that the Old Testament in many, in, in many times and in many ways might be irrelevant to us as Christians. Matter of fact, how many of you have started into reading, like, hey, I'm going to read the Bible through. I'm going to start in Genesis and go all the way through. And Genesis and Exodus are exciting. And then you get to the book of Leviticus. 
And there's nothing exciting about the book of Leviticus as compared to Genesis and Exodus. Why? Because the book of Leviticus is a book of what? I'm going to assume you all said laws. Everybody's real muffled this morning. Laws. There's just a handful of people, maybe that I that I know, that enjoy just sitting down and reading laws. I I, I took just just out of just because there is a little bit of nerd in me. Some of you that know me may say there's more than just a little, but I got bored one day and I decided, you know what I'm gonna do because I don't have anything else to do. This has been several years. I decided I'm just gonna sit down and read the Constitution from start to finish. Just from start to finish. And you know, it's not a um, it's not the most thrilling read I ever had, but I, but I did learn a few things, but that's not something you just normally sit down and go, hey, I'm bored. Let's read a bunch of laws about our country. The same is true with some of the things from the Old Testament. But when you do a side-by-side comparison many times, you will see that there's a lot of Old Testament terms and phrases and ideas that get carried into the New Testament. One of the most interesting to me is a lot of times we think this idea of baptism is just all of a sudden a, a New Testament concept, but you know, baptism was something that was used or, or, or immersion in the water was something that was used in a lot of different ways under the old law. And as a matter of fact, to become a Jew from a different from a different um, background, you weren't Jew, but you wanted to convert to Judaism. You know, one of the things that you had to do, you had to be baptized, you had to be immersed. It was an idea that these people understood. OK, so there's a lot of Old Testament ideas and concepts that roll into the New Testament. And the idea of an elder is one of them. The idea of an elder is one of them. Many of you know this story. There was a time in the life of Moses where Moses was trying to deal with all of the problems of Israel all by himself. And his father-in-law shows up. And what does his father-in-law say? You need what? You need some help with this. Okay, you can't do all this by yourself. And so Moses put together a group of men, a group of 72 men. This is from Numbers chapter 11. And they became the elders of Israel. And as you fast forward to the time of Jesus, these men were still these men were still a part of society, and and they were still called the elders. And, and I think that that was an important term to to the New Testament church because they understood what that term meant. And in their minds, they understood the importance of maturity, not just maturity of age but maturity of spirit as well. Maturity of spirit as well. We would like to think and we would like to believe that maturity of age always equals spiritual maturity, but we know that that's not always the case. There are a lot of guys, not a lot of guys, let me back up. There are those special handful of guys that, and and women as well, that when they sell out to Christ, regardless of their age, their spiritual maturity surpasses that of even Christians who have been Christians 20 or 30 years longer than them because they have decided, I'm going to be a true disciple of Christ. So this idea of an elder gives us the impression, gives us the thought that this individual needs to be someone who is mature in age but also in spiritualness as well. And why is that? How do you come to that? Well, the first thing I want to just kind of make you think about is when you think about the question, well, Matthew, what age does it mean? 
Well, unfortunately, Scripture doesn't give us any age, per se, but Scripture does give us some guidance in this idea. And the one place of guidance that I think is important to understand this particular word and, and what God's maybe trying to say through it is understanding the qualifications. In both Timothy and in Titus, and we talked about this last Sunday night, we, we talked about the idea that an elder must have believing or faithful children. Now, let me pause on that for just a second. There is a, a teaching that has come about. I didn't mention this Sunday night. There's a teaching that has come about with this particular qualification that really bothers me. And it's in both the qualifications of the elders and of the deacons because it says that deacons are to have children. But a lot of times, it's getting to where some people, and, and, and I've, I've worshipped with people like this and I've worked with a with guy like this, that they look at this particular qualification and they go this. They have to have believing children if they have children. Now, what's the problem with that statement? What's the problem with that statement? Nowhere in Scripture is the word if ever used. The, the statement is an imperative statement in the Greek that they must have believing children, not believing children if they have children. And, and the problem with that idea, the problem with that, and, and to some degree I understand why this teaching has, has come about because there are obviously, there are obviously men in the church, leaders in the church, not maybe not of, of an official title, but, but you know what I mean, that are great leaders, but for one reason or another, whether it's there by choice or, or there by struggle, children are just not part of their family. And so this teaching has been created to create an avenue for them to continue to serve. And for them to become elders and for them to become deacons. The problem is, is where do you stop? And that's the conversation I always have. Where do you stop with the word if? Because if we want to, we can erase all the qualifications. We can erase all the qualifications. He is to be the husband of one wife if he wants to be married. He is to have believing children if he has children. He is to be patient if it's with the right person. So we have to be very careful with these ideas and make sure that we try to just be as true to the Word of God as possible. But that was a side note. That was, that was all free of charge this morning. This is what I really want to say. Within the qualification of, of having believing children, it implies that you have a, a, a man and, and a family unit, a family unit, a man and a wife, a husband and a wife, that have raised their children to the point that they are able to stand on their own faith. Does that make sense? That, that they have raised their children to where they are able to stand on their own faith, that they are Christians, that, that they have developed uh, their own faith, that they have faced challenges maybe in their own faith, faith, and, and have overcome some of those challenges, and they are grounded in the Word. They are believing. They are faithful. And so that gives you an idea that this guy has to be at least old enough to have raised, for the most part in their lives, his children, to get them to that point. Now, as you well know, because of when people have children and this and that and the other, that age very much 
number-wise, can, can be in a lot of different places. But there's that qualification. I believe it is there for a reason. I believe it implies that age of maturity. But also, the spiritual maturity is important because another one of the qualifications is the qualification to be able to teach. To be able to teach. Now, I don't think that within that qualification, he's talking about the ability to stand at a podium in the middle of this auditorium on Sunday morning and, and teach uh, a class. I, I think that sometimes teaching a class has uh, has been put into that passage a little bit. Okay, that, that if they've never taught a class before, then they're not able to, to be an elder. And I don't think that's what's because teaching looks different to a lot of different people. Teaching looks different to a lot of different people. Some people are gifted with the ability to stand up in front of a group of people and share thoughts. But you take that same person and put them one-on-one in a conversation, they may, they may not be as effective and vice versa. You may have a guy that's able to take a new convert and is able to disciple him and grow him into this great Christian. But yet you put him in front of a group of people and he's going to be nervous and he's not going to know what to say and he's not going to know what to do. Teaching is a very broad term, but regardless of how broad the term might be, it takes spiritual maturity to be able to work with someone, teach someone, and encourage someone to that extent in the Word of God. So an elder is someone who is not just physically mature, but is spiritually mature as well. The next word I want us to look at this morning The next word that I want us to look at this morning is the word overseer. It's the word overseer. And and throughout scripture, this is is translated into three different words. One word that I had honestly never heard before referring to the elders, but but I think it's an important word to understand a broader picture of what an elder is to be. But the way this word is used in scripture is the word overseer, is the word guardian, that's the word I'd never heard before, and the word bishop. Now, what does it mean to be an overseer? Well, again, let's go back into the Old Testament and look at how this word is used and why in the world would it be used in the New Testament as well? Well, Job chapter 20 refers to God as the overseer of humanity. Second Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 12 describes the men who were overseers of the repairs of the temple. Nehemiah chapter 11 and verse 9 talks about the overseers of the tribe of Levi. The word simply means men who oversaw different areas of Old Testament culture. Now, let's fast forward to the New to the New Testament, to where we are to the church. The same idea is there. Someone who is overseeing or in charge of, um, or a foreman of, is even another word of the Old Testament that is used in the same way of things within the church. So if, if an elder is to be an overseer, then what is he? To oversee. Well, there's three things. Or or three, well, the first is this. They are to oversee the flock or the church of God. And we're not talking about the building. We're not talking about the physical structure. We're talking about the individuals. It's the most important thing, just like with shepherding. The most important thing that the elder oversees, and you see this in three different passages, 1 Peter 1, we just read, Acts 20 and verse 28, shepherd the church of God. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 5, take care of the house of God. An overseer's job is to take care of 
each and every person in this church family. Now, budgets are stressful. Building projects are stressful. Finding teachers teach sometimes is stressful. I'm trying to think of things that I've seen different elderships do and be in charge of. Uh, there's a lot of things that are, that are stressful. But you know what is maybe the most stressful part of being an elder, or at least from my perspective with men that I've seen? It is caring for the individual. The song God's Family is one of my favorites. And I love the chorus. Sometimes we laugh together. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we share together heartaches and sighs. So, so there's this idea that, that as, as an elder, as a shepherd, as an overseer, you, you're going to be intimately involved in the lives of those that you shepherd, those that you oversee. And that's going to mean that there are going to be times that you're going to laugh together and then there's going to be times that you cry. There's going to be times that you spend wakeless hours lying in bed praying about an individual or about a circumstance, praying for guidance of how to deal with it because your number one charge is to oversee the flock, the church, the house, the people of God. And that's a challenging thing. But as stressful as it is, I know this for a fact because in many ways I share with our elders in this particular part of their job and within my ministry. Not only is it stressful, it's also one of the most encouraging and rewarding parts of serving God. When you decide to enter into a relationship with someone to help them grow and to help them move into positive places, and you see them, you see them make that leap from one spot to the next. You see that guy who's been real nervous to be up in front of people, but yet he gets up and he gives that devotional anyway. You sit there and you have pride in that because you know how hard he's worked. And you have overseen that and you have shepherded that and you have discipled him in that way. And in those moments, even though it may be stressful at times, there's so much joy that comes from overseeing the people of God as well. Now, there, there's a few other things throughout Scripture and we'll touch on them because they are important. Because we see elders doing these things through Scripture. We see that they are to be over the financial business of the church. I don't think that it means that they're to be, you know, um, micromanaging the money, but they are to, to be in charge and give the final approval and let people know this is where we're doing and this is how we're doing. And, and they're to be able to account for those things. Uh, they're in charge of proper doctrine. They're in charge of proper doctrine. They're, they're in charge of making sure things don't get too far to the right, make sure things don't get too far to the left, that we just stay true to the Word of God. But understanding as well within proper doctrine that there is a difference, and I think sometimes in the church we struggle with this, and leaders can as well, there's a difference in proper doctrine and just tradition. Sometimes we confuse the two. We get so used to doing things a certain way that we think that we're doing them that way because it's the proper way when really it's just the way that we are comfortable doing. And so they have to be able to make sure to be able to tell the difference between true, proper doctrine and traditions within the church. And then finally, Hebrews 13, 17 again talks about being in charge of the individual soul. 
Now, I want us to, to look at a couple more things together, and then these lessons will be yours. I want you to know this morning that the fact that they are overseers implies a couple of things. It implies that they have authority. It applies, implies that they have authority. Now, one of the things that we are very blessed with as a country is a democracy. And in a democracy, we have the ability to allow our voices to be heard. We have the ability to, to go to, um, uh, to the ballot box and to, and to vote for certain things and certain people and certain uh, stuff that may come up. And, and as a country, sometimes I think we're a, little, um, we're a little spoiled by that. We're a little spoiled by that. We get this idea that in every way, in every decision that's made throughout life, because we're so used to it as a nation, then that democracy, everybody has a voice, everybody has a right to be heard, bleeds into a lot of other things. But within the church, the church is not a democracy. Even though a lot of times we function that way. As a matter of fact, within this particular elder search, Danny got up last week, and what did he say? Give us your suggestions. We want to hear your voice in this process. But did you know that there's nowhere in Scripture that says that they have to do that? Nowhere in Scripture does it say that they have to give up, get up and give you a voice in the process. As a matter of fact, it would be totally biblical for, for Danny to get up here today after really no conversation with anybody else and say, Ricky and I have been praying about this. We've been working on this. We have talked to these men and these are going to be the men that are the elders in this new in, in this church. These are our new elders. There would be nothing unscriptural about that at all. Now, a lot of people wouldn't like it because it's not the traditional way that we do things because you want to have a voice in everything. But our elders have a certain level of authority. We have to respect that. I know this is small. And I know this seems insignificant. But in the last few weeks, in the last few months, I've laughed about these. I've laughed about these masks. And not in a positive way, but because I've talked to other preachers. I've talked to other preachers who they're, I mean, our elders didn't do this. They strongly encouraged it. They didn't just mandate it. But from the moment they came back, some some. Friends of mine, their churches mandated masks in their gatherings. They used their authority to try to keep their churches safe. And I can't tell you the stories that I've heard of people going to elders and just being ugly and rude to them because they didn't like a decision that was made to try to keep them safe, a decision that was made to oversee, to care for their flock. We have to, and I, and, I, and I use that and I say that to make this point. When elders make decisions, they don't make them lightly. They don't make them on a, on, on, on a whim. They, they, they spend time on those thoughts. They pray about those thoughts. And when they make decisions that, that are biblical and do not go against Scripture, we have to respect their authority. And that is a challenge for us sometimes. Now, 
The flip side of that is men who have, who are, and who will be serving as elders. It is so important that you do not abuse that authority. Peter says in this first Peter passage, do not lord over the flock. Don't use those things to hurt. Don't use that authority to hurt people, but understand, understand that it is there to bring them closer to God. Now the last thing, and we're going to um, we're going to look at, at this passage together. It implies responsibility. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Well, we, we've talked about a lot of passages, but I haven't looked at them. That's why I'll put them up on the screen. If you want a, a copy of, of, of my notes, if you want a copy of my PowerPoint, all of this will be online on our Facebook page, on our YouTube channel. You can go back and watch and listen. You're more than welcome to read. I've got even more things in here in my notes that I haven't covered this morning. So if you would like that, I'll be more than happy to get that for you. But there's a couple of things from this Ephesians passage that I want us to close with because it shows the true responsibility of, of our leaders. Let's start in verse 11. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, which is the word there uh, for shepherds that we talked about last week, and teachers. So, so who's he talking to here? He, he's basically saying all of those who are in the church that lead, okay? Not just your official leaders, but, but we know that there are other people who lead, who teach, who have, who have um, I'm not going to say authority, but, but they have the authority. The ability to have influence. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect a mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So he says here as, as a church, as, as an eldership, you have a very important responsibility. Your responsibility, responsibility is not just to shepherd, not just to, to be there in life moments, but it is to take individuals and equip them for works of service. It means you're going to have to know the people in your church. You're going to have to know the people in your congregation. And you're going to have to learn their gifts. And you're going to have to learn their abilities. You're going to have to be able to see what talents God has given them. And you're going to be able to have to be able to work with them and push them and encourage them and disciple them to where they grow in those things. And they are equipped to, to use those talents in service to God for a very specific purpose so that we may be a mature body. So that we may be a mature body. I love this particular passage in Ephesians because if there ever was an actual job description of what an elder is supposed to be, 
this would be it. There's the qualifications, but then this would be just an outright job description. So it shows a lot of responsibility. So let's very quickly end our, our thoughts with a picture of words. An elder, the man who is going to serve in this position, is to be spiritual and physically mature. He is to be an overseer, which means he looks after the business, the doctrine, and the soul of the church. He is to be a shepherd, someone who provides, who protects, and who is personal. Let's close our thoughts with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the last couple of Sundays as we've been able to study a little more in depth this idea of biblical leadership, this idea of elders within our church. And what they're supposed to be about and, and the, the responsibilities that they have and, and the, the requirements of the job uh, of service God. This is such an exciting time for our church family. Anytime that there is newness brought into your leadership, it, it creates a time of change, a time of something different. And God, we pray that this time of change pushes us into a direction to where we are a true life in this community, to where we are growing into a mature body every day, to where we are encouraged and we are here and we are going out from this place and we are letting our life shine and we're sharing the good news of Christ with other people. We're teaching the gospel in every way that we can to everyone that we know, God. And, and, and so much of that, God, so much of that identity, so much of that encouragement starts with our leaders. So God, I pray right now for Danny and for Ricky as they oversee this process of adding to our elders. I thank you for their willingness to serve, for their diligence, for their heartfulness. I pray for the men who will be asked to serve in coming so those conversations are coming. They're coming soon. And those conversations can be shared. Maybe they can make some verses. You can bring some anxiety. You can get off track. Just thinking about the things that we talked about. The picture painted in Scripture almost makes this job seem like it's just made for someone who's a superhero, not just plain ordinary man. God, there's wisdom in your structure, in your life. Help us select a group of men who have a hope that give you all these traits. They may not all be great as an individual, but as an eldership, as a, a full body of leaders, they're able to be the leadership that you want. So we pray for those men in the conversation. We pray that you'll soften their hearts, allow your spirit to begin to convicting them now and preparing them for that time. Thank you so much for our church family. And thank you for the resilience that we have shown in the past few months as we face challenges and have overcome challenges and have gathered back together again. Continue to watch us in this way with that type of attitude and that type of wisdom. There is a God, there is a God, he is a God.
If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 1030 a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 930 and Wednesday evenings at 630. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community.